all CEOs, me included, we don't actually know what we're doing. They're all sharks, so all you got to do, though, is no shark bait. I don't think we've ever talked about this before. <laughs> we can capture all of the wallet share. First place you start is with the product. That's just the first nut. This is the Capital Stack. Hey, everybody, this is David Paul, the host of the Capital Stack podcast, where we talk to founders, operators, and investors about all things value creation and startups. Today, I am speaking with Leib Bolel, who is the managing partner at Greyhawk Capital. I'm getting like a, a big net uh, partner. Yeah, it's what, what's the how do you pronounce your last name? Bolel. Bolel. That's nice. It's, <laughs> I like it. I like it. Um, forgive my voice. I'm really glad you're in the studio with me. Don't worry. I, I just have like a slight case of COVID. Um, but just a slight case, just a slight case. I just, I'm just getting over mine. So we good. <laughs> you know, it's not COVID unless you test, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, Labe, how you doing? Doing good. Do, doing good. Uh, crazy times, valuations, trying to get a term sheet out, but we're doing good today. Good to be with you, Dave. But you said it was a, com- a competitive deal. It is. It is. It's, uh, it's a company that we're uh, pretty keen on, and the, uh, the company we're looking at has another term sheet that they've been pushing day by day, waiting for our term sheet to come through. So, you know, somewhat empathetic uh, for the founders, and but we're in a crazy time uh, on the valuation side, uh, just in terms of sales cycles and looking at modeling that out, how the next 12 months are going to be. But, uh, you know, fingers crossed we get this deal done and at least get the term sheet out. B2B SaaS? B2B SaaS. Nice. And where is it located? It's a company, actually, uh, it's founded out of Israel, uh, relocating to the U.S. Uh, it's in the cyber sector um, and one that we're, you know, excited about as well. Nice. You have Israeli ties. I do. I lived there. I lived there for about six years. Um, you know, I say my biggest investment, hopefully ever, is in Israel. It's marrying an Israeli woman, and uh, <laughs> I like my, that. Yeah, my, my my oldest son was born there as well, uh, but being in the states now for about eleven years. So, like, I don't like. Yeah, it's it's really hard for me to to, to kind of nail you. You know, you've got you know you you've got like an English accent. You're from South Africa, but you've got kind of like a Israeli. Yeah, I, I call it a look. I, 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 <laughs> got an Israeli look, you know, to you. I think accent is all perspective. I think I've just got a neutral accent. Everyone else thinks otherwise. I go to England. They say that I've got an American accent over here. They say I've just got a messed up accent. Yeah. Um, and You're like an enigma. Well, you know, I, I was born in, in uh, England, in the northeast, in Newcastle. Uh, I was brought up in, in the UK. My family's from South Africa. I spent a good amount of time there when my grandparents were there. So, uh I uh, enjoy going back and lived in Israel for about five years, five, six years, and uh, been in the U.S. since. All right. Nice. And so tell me, how did you get into venture capital? Oh, man. Um, you know, I, I say the odds of me getting into venture capital were probably like one in seven million. And, and, and how did I get to that? That's because living in Arizona and looking at the, you know, the venture ecosystem here is just not a lot. And there's more today than there was four years ago when I got into venture. And I was running the um, Arizona-Israel Technology Alliance at the time and was seeing a tremendous amount of deal flow. And the Arizona-Israel Technology Alliance is a non-profit trade group that focuses on, uh, you know, bilateral trade and initiatives of how we can benefit in Arizona from some of the Israeli technology coming out of there. 
And so seeing a lot of early stage uh, companies in Arizona, seeing a tremendous amount of out of Israel, I knew that there was opportunity there. Deal flow is, you could say sometimes the Achilles heel of, of venture of where they're getting good deals, sourcing good deals from. And I, and I had that. So being able to, uh, number one, identify that and also be able to uh, capitalize on it was something that was really intriguing. So I went out and uh, started my own fund called Aretz Partners. And just by way of background, Aretz is a Hebrew word for the land, which represents the land of Israel. And you've got the A at the beginning and the Z at the end for Arizona. Nice. And, uh, you know, very much focused on pre-seed seed and was just getting that up and running and I had, um, I would say, a huge, somewhat of a mentor and definitely someone who's, who helped me out quite a bit and was the attorney in setting up the fund docs was uh, Tom Krizan mm-hmm. um, out of Osborne Melodin. And uh, Tom said, you know, going through this process of getting, uh, you know, incorporating and, and uh, getting this set up, he says, you, you know, you, sh- you shouldn't meet Greyhawk just on the deal flow side. They're doing later stage. They're doing series A, series B. And there could be synergies there. Um I met Sherman probably about four and a half, five years ago. And um, I asked him if he would come on board uh, just as an advisor um, and told him what I was doing, told him, you know, and we, we spent a good amount of time. And it was right around the time of when Greyhawk were going to launch Fund 3. And um, after maybe three months or so of conversing, I came in, presented what I was doing to the partners. Um, just giving them, you know, an update. You know, this is what I'm doing. I know what you guys are doing and hear where the synergies are. Um, and, you know, I, they, they saw some opportunity that uh, I may be a good fit for the next fund. And that's when I joined Greyhawk and they offered me to come on board. Nice, nice. Yeah, so. That was kind of like a very similar story to happen with, um, with me and Canal Partners. I literally was, like, was co-investing with them, my office right next to them, and like in two months, they're like, why don't you just join us? <laughs> you know what, these things, I think, I think getting into venture is probably one of the most difficult um, industries to get into. You know, you're either coming out of investment banking or you're coming out as a successful founder. Um, the trajectory there, you know, maybe becoming an intern and working your way up, you know, it's an industry, I think, probably within the capital markets where um, it's generally an apprenticeship that is needed to get into it. It's not as though that they are teaching venture uh, in, in universities, definitely not at a large scale. So I think, you know, there are a couple of prime profiles of how folks get into it. Um, I think uh, definitely in my, ca- in, in my case, it was, uh, you know, I guess it was meant to be. And uh, I'm fortunate and really blessed and just love what I do. What are some of the downsides of working in venture capital? Markets. <laughs> so, I mean, there's, there's, I think looking at it is number one, um, it's, you know, before looking at the downsides, look at the upsides of it. It's, you get to meet some incredible people, work with people that are visionaries. Uh, people that are solving real problems. And, you know, we're a very, very, I'd say, fairly narrow focused fund. We focus on B2B SaaS, Series A, Series B. I would say that we've got a concentration on portfolio in healthcare, uh, healthcare IT, fintech, uh, a lot on the productivity analytics, uh, uh, analytics side. We've got cyber and uh, we've got a, a growing portfolio on the MarTech side. So that would, you know, you could say that, is that all of the deal flow? No, I mean, I've seen stuff from hydroponics to satellite. I mean, you get to see the whole gamut. Um, and those are generally actually from founders that aren't doing their research and they're reaching out and sending over decks. I love seeing that type of stuff. It's not going to be relevant on an investment side. 
Um, the people that you work with, I mean, Greyhawk just as a whole, I mean, the team, we've got an amazing, amazing team, really enjoy working with them. Um, and then obviously the upside, you want to be making good investments uh, in, in, into those companies and working with those companies and, you know, through the ups, through the downs. So I think looking at the good side of it is, is, is probably the best way to look at it. Um, the downside of it, you know, I, I can't say there's a tremendous amount of downside. I mean, you go through, um, you know, different cycles and where it could be challenging for portfolio companies. I mean, I can even tell you today, we were talking about a term sheet just a couple of minutes ago. I mean, it's been a gruel to get, I mean, it's, it's, it's something that I think most people go through at any stage of their career and it comes along with work. But, um, if you love what you do, I mean, really it just counterbalances it out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think everyone thinks that this job is just all glamour, you know, and you know, I, I, I live and bask in the glamour of it and I love it as well, but to get there, it takes a lot of work. You have to see a lot of deals, right? To get good pattern recognition. You have to have the money to actually deploy, which requires lots of lots of meetings, lots of time fundraising. So, you know, I think it's kind of like that 80% that people don't see, right? That has to go into it. Yeah, I think that I know I've spoken to so many people that you know, on the fundraising side, I love fundraising. Mm -hmm. I, I just, I enjoy it. Uh, a lot of people despise it and it's the worst part of sure. it. Sure. I, I, I like it too. I, I, I enjoy it. Um, you know, the, 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 you talk about the glamour part of it. I mean, the admin side of it. I mean, these are, these, I mean, it takes a lot of work. There's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of paperwork, you know, to go through, think about, you know, whether it's going to be on the distributions, K1, taxes. I mean, just everything, there's a lot of admin that goes into it. So it's not as though that we're out every day meeting people and that's all we do and we've got a back office, uh, back office staff. I mean, we do have uh, support as well, but I would say within Greyhawk, a lot, you know, a lot of the, um, I'd say the partners are doing, you know, the heavy lifting, um, you know, when it comes to, um, I would say, fund admin side. And so you have... Um more fund admin side than most because you are an SBIC fund. Yeah, I don't think they're correlated in terms of, I mean, the fund admin that we do have outsourced fund admin to an extent. Uh, I would say we have a lot more compliance. You know, we, mm -hmm. we do get an, a, an additional audit. I mean, the SBIC program is a program of the SBA that provides leverage, to, you know, a, a very economical, uh, um, you know, rate. And it's, it's, it's benefited, uh, you know, us has benefited our LPs and definitely the ability to be able to fund more companies. Um, there, there's a lot of compliance with it. So, yes, there's a lot more work uh, on our side um, when it comes to the admin. Mm -hmm. And so how do you think about portfolio construction? Like how big is your last fund three? How big fund three is 76 million. Yeah. So how does that um, how do you think about portfolio construction from a size, from a follow on perspective, et cetera? We've been pretty consistent. Uh, you know, first fund was 60 million, second fund 70 million, third fund 76 million. Uh, generally targeting 14 to 16 companies per, per portfolio. Average check size, I would say right now, initial check size about two and a half million or so. Um, and then, you know, reserving about one extra for, for follow on. One extra follow on? Yeah. Nice. It could be more. Uh, yeah. It could be more. It could sure. be less. You know, you want to be able to be there for, you know, for the companies. Uh, it could be bridge. It could be. Uh, you know, there could be insiders of where it makes sense to be able to do an insider round and you want to be able to put that capital to use. Um, 
And then eventually there's going to be, you know, there's going to be the dogs and there's going to be the ones that, you know, you're going to fund them. But uh, if it's going to be a, a money pit, it's, uh, it just doesn't make any sense and you yeah. want to be able to double down on the winners. Exactly. Exactly. And so what are you kind of excited about going into 2023? So from our fund, I think this, that's broken into two parts. From a fund perspective, and then there's just the wider technology perspective, right? From a fund perspective, you know, there's definitely opportunities out there. Um, you know, capital efficiency right now is absolutely key. There are going to be companies that uh, you know, are realizing founders, like, you know, last year was a real founder-dominated market. It's no longer a founder-dominated market of where multiples, I saw term sheets at 40 and 50x last year, which made very, very little sense. I mean, we're pretty conservative when it comes to valuation, um, specifically for these reasons. And um, I think there's going to be some really good opportunities of where there's companies out there that had uh, significant write-ups and raised a significant amount of capital over the last 24 months. And they need to recalibrate. And uh, they, they, the business fundamentals are going to be there um, or they have come about meaning that, you know, they may have gone on uh, capital splurges and just hiring everyone to be able to ramp up. And the economy isn't the same today. So, the, you know, they're going to need capital. We're actively deploying. There's, uh, you know, a number of funds out there that have taken a step back and waiting for these markets to, you know, I'd say continue correcting itself. Um, but that, you know, that lends to, I would say, a couple of case studies of where companies, you know, we were talking to them in Q1 of last year, still when the markets hadn't dipped yet. And, um, you know, they wanted to raise a huge round or, or a moderate round, but valuations were crazy. And they weren't able to do that because of the markets were shifting. But we're talking to them now and they're a lot more, you know, I would say reasonable. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, and you know, I think for the, for the many founders that wanted to be able to raise, you know, at large valuations, and I get it and I understand it, there's more opportunity for us to be able to talk to those founders at reasonable valuations. Mm-hmm. Do you really feel like that? What was, what was the number that everyone's saying? Like $230 billion? dry powder, whatever. Do you think that number is real? I, I don't know the exact number. I, I, it's definitely unprecedented in terms of the amount of capital out there. Yeah. And yes, there's a tremendous amount of capital. There have been some funds that have actually returned some capital back to their LPs because they can't deploy. Um, and well, I'm talking about tier one funds out there. Uh, there's a significant amount of capital out there. Um, and, you know, you have this catch 22. You've got so much capital, but, you, you know, there, there could be extra hesitancy in investing. Um well, yeah, uh, they still have to call it. <laughs> they, unless they're returning it, right? Right. Unless they're returning it. So, yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot of capital out there. Um, you I know, believe it. I just don't know how much. Because I feel like a lot of that capital, like, because you can't really, you can't really, like, you know, the, that number that gets recorded on the amount of funds that are raised, <clears throat> that happens at the fund closing like you can still deploy before that. So I'm just wondering right. how much of that was actually deployed before. I've got no idea. I don't, yeah. I, I, don't, no I, I, I don't know the statistic on that. Um, I think though that we, you know, there's going to be a lot more secondary. Uh, there's going to be a lot of more secondary uh, purchases. Uh, I think this year from groups that went all in on large rounds at significantly high valuations. Um, and, you know, the value of their portfolio has gone down significantly. So if there's an option to be able to sell out in a secondary and have some liquidity, um, I think we're going to be seeing that. And I've actually, you know, we've seen a couple of scenarios like that. So basically, I'm in a fund, I have to return capital, so I'm going to sell my position at a discount to a secondary firm. Yep. Yeah, I see that. I can see that definitely happening. And then you just kind of wait for that person who actually has a longer fund life to actually 
Yeah, I mean, outlived the market. There's, there's portfolio out there that are down ninety percent. I mean, there's companies that are down ninety percent. There's there's uh, there's um, there's funds that are down significantly. Um, and I'm talking about traditional, you know, traditional funds. I'm not talking about crypto. I'm not talking about sure. you know uh, you know NFTs out there. I'm talking about you know what's being you know I'd say what we would call the standard normal you know tech type of funds. So you work with some really uh, exceptional partners. Yes. There's not many people in this town that have been doing, actually, there's no one in this town that's been doing venture capital as long as they have. You know, whenever they say something, I'm usually always listening because, you know, there's just a lot of wisdom when you're doing something for 30 plus years. What are some of the best pieces of advice you've gotten from your, from your partners? Uh, take your time, right? There's always going to be another deal. So that's going to be number one. Number two is not necessarily of what they have told me. It's what my observations are. Uh, don't become emotionally attached to a deal. Um, and be, you know, you, you need to be really detailed in, in the diligence. I mean, this is, this is capital that we are taking care of for our LPs. And, you know, the decisions are big decisions and you want to go in with 100% clarity um, and you never know what the, you know, what the future is going to predict. But up until, you know, a term sheet and funding, you want to know that you have, you know, crossed the, you know, crossed the T's, dotted the I's. Um, and I, I would say, you know, cumulatively and even on an individual aspect, each one of the partners are, you know, they operate differently, but collectively is a really strong group. Mm hmm. You know, it's really interesting what you said about, you know, going from, from term sheet to, to close and really, you know, making sure that you understand all of the dynamics of the company and the market. I feel like that's really the only tools like an investor like really has, you know, is actually like before the funding. Because after the funding, you're taking a minority position. You're sitting on a board. Yes, you can block things, but you really... I mean, you can influence management, but you really are not operating the company. No, we're not operators. Um, and you know, I, I would say when you're looking at an investment opportunity, the people are going to be key to this, right? You want to look at who, what is the board composition. And, and I would say many times that there's a, you know, a deal could fall through simply because of the board composition. And some of that could be, you know, you want the right people on the board and you talk about management as well. These are people you're going to be working with, you know. I, I've heard this uh, a number of times, and I and, and, and I repeat it, to, you know, with 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 a, a gesture of of, uh, of humor, because I actually think it's true. It's harder to get out of an investment than it is to get a divorce, right? <laughs> and it's uh, you know it's the reality, and you're going to be with the, these folks over the long run. You you know you're talking about a number of years, four, five, six, could be seven, eight years. You know, you really depending on on when you're going to exit. So. To be able to learn about people, uh, about the character of, uh, you know, of, of management, how they operate, I would say within a fairly short amount of time, so I think about three, six, eight months maybe, um, you need to have the confidence that you're going into this investment that these folks are going to be able to, number one, weather the storms, they are calculated, they are, um, have the ability to pivot if they need to make decisions well. I mean, there's a number of characteristics that, you know, that, that we look out for. Um, so yeah, it, it when it when it comes down to the people, it's super important. Mm -hmm. What do you think about this town? What do you think about Arizona? I love Arizona. Arizona is awesome. You know, there's, there's a reason I moved down over here. Um, I think we are still on you know early days of uh, of of companies you know establishing good presence and seeing you know big wins. I would say that you know we've had a several. You know, if you go way back, you look at Bob Parsons with uh, you know with, with GoDaddy, that would probably be like the icon, but. 
you know, it's a, that, that's going a long, a long ways back. Um, and then, you know, as you work through the last 15, 20 years or so, you know, you've got the likes of, uh, of WebPT and you've had, uh, you know, n- a number of others. I mean, we've got Carvana over here, but there's, there's uh, in terms of a, f- a full ecosystem, uh, I like to look at what's happening on, you know, on, when, when it comes to the masses, you know, where can you see the masses? And when you see a mass, then you get an idea as to what's really going on, you know, and the potential. And so, you know, Startup AZ, I think, is, you know, is an organization that I, I like a lot. You know, they be, they're able to bring in, um, you know, I think the last event, they had over 100 founders. Uh, you've got visionaries. And, and I think one of the things that are happening in Arizona that uh, I would say if there's any ecosystem I think that we are somewhat comparable to I, th- I think it's going to be Salt Lake uh, out, of, out of Utah and you see some of that success of when successful founders they uh, deploy some of their their capital locally and then it has that ripple effect and we're seeing that with uh, you know whether it's going to be with Greg Scoresby or Hamid or Mario um, they are you know focused on Arizona and investing in Arizona um, and there's some big and bold ideas that are you know coming to fruition and I think we're just in the early days of that. So since you've been, you know, investing in B2B SaaS and that you've got a B2B SaaS portfolio, are you seeing from um, a governance perspective, from a portfolio monitoring perspective, sales cycles elongating, you know, um, indecisiveness, seat contraction, you know, stuff that everyone's kind of scared about? 100%. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Yeah, I think sales, I mean, I think enterprise budget cuts are coming. Um whether we're calling this a recession now or pending uh, pending recession, I, I think everyone is uh, is going to be a lot more hesitant and cautious on really every dynamic of business. And you know, you, companies are going to be worried about churn, about downsells, um, sales cycles, and uh, you know the the ability to be able to hit those KPIs and metrics and and operating plans that they've put in place. Uh, so I, and I think as well that's a, a key part of. You know, even the multiples are down and the deployment is pretty slow simply because of those dynamics. Yeah, absolutely. One thing I don't think founders understand, too, is that just because they can slow down, right, from a burn perspective, like, doesn't mean that competitors are catching up, right? Right. Everyone's slowing down. Right. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like, there's no rush. There, no there are going to be, the out, I think there's the outliers out right. there, um, but I think there's going to be those out, outliers are few and far between than the outliers that we had like, you know, over the last 18 to 24 months. When's four, fun four coming? Ooh, that's a good question. It's going to come a lot sooner than uh, than our past vintages. So we've had pretty long vintage, um, pretty long vintages. So we had a two thousand and one, two thousand twelve, two thousand and nineteen. Uh, it's two thousand twelve to two thousand nineteen. Yeah, yeah, that's a yeah, that's a long that's, spread. It is a long spread, and um, I think you know we'll be up and running. You know, we're about. I'd say fifty percent deployed right now in uh, in our current fund and. Um, I, I would say, you know, we've got a peripheral eye on on Fund 4. I mean, we're, we're super focused on Fund 3. Uh, we still have, you know, capital to deploy and, you know, we need to be taking care of the, of our current portfolio, but sure. uh, it'll be, it will be a lot sooner than, you know, that, that uh, time span that we saw between Fund 2 and Fund 3. Absolutely. Absolutely. Lade, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks, I Dave. really appreciate it. A couple canned questions. What's your favorite book? Um... Favorite book? Harry, would, Harry Potter. No, 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 no. I, I, let, let me, 
Yeah. I, I tell you, I, I love Adam Grant. He writes some really, really yeah. brilliant books. Uh, so, you know, there's a number of them that I like. I think uh, Blue Ocean Strategy, I think, is a fantastic book. Did he uh, write that? No, Blue Ocean Strategy was, uh, I think, Kim and Harbour. They, yeah. they are uh, <clears throat> you know, they're out of Harvard. Um, I felt that boring was good, but dry as fuck. It's, uh, you know, if you, if you think about just the, the industry that we're in, you know, you're looking for folks that are looking for that blue ocean, right? And, you know, what's that next innovation? And, and they, give, they go really deeply into it. I love The Alchemist. It's one of my favorite yeah. books, you know, one of my favorite books. So there's a bunch of them. Adam Grant wrote a really fantastic book that I just loved. I think it was his latest book. It was called Think Again. Love it. Yeah. I've read it. I mean, yeah. it's just unbelievable. I was like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, it was just incredible. Uh, best piece of business advice you've ever received? Find a mentor. Find a mentor. Agreed. Agreed. Thank you so much for coming on. We drop a, a podcast every Tuesday on all your major platforms, Spotify, YouTube, and Apple. If you like it, please subscribe. Tell a friend. You can cancel me if you want. Just talk about it. Uh, see you next week. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to the Capital Stack Podcast. Make sure to share this with someone you know that can benefit from this content. Remember to support this show by rating, reviewing, and subscribing. David Paul is the founder and general partner at DWP Capital. All opinions expressed by David and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of DWP Capital. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for decisions. David and guests may maintain positions in the securities discussed on this podcast.